Thank you, uh, Nicholas. Um, and I, I would like to thank um, all our panelists uh, coming in, and uh, especially Rajesh, uh, he is flying in. Um, so, uh, but before I uh, dive into the discussion, uh, first of all, I would like to uh, thank uh, Nicholas and uh, Capital Link for um, organizing this event. Uh, I remember when I was um, talking with uh, Nicholas about the idea of uh, hosting this event here in the Hong Kong Maritime Week. Um, your first Hong Kong event, right? Um, he was actually very quick to commit to it. And of course, at that time, um, there was no protest. So it was easier to, to commit to it. Uh, but now, I, I know you had to worry uh, earlier, you know, it's, it's been going on for months. Uh, but then I think um, today, this morning, actually you had a big relief seeing all these people. Um, so uh, thanks for coming in. Um, and uh, I think this actually uh, proves uh, uh, three things. One is that um, Hong Kong actually we are more or less a business as usual. Uh, second is um, uh, that um, capturing is a very quality event. That uh, that's why you are here. And then of course uh, also uh, Nicholas trust in Hong Kong. Uh, now um, I would like to start with um, this uh, panel with a very general question. Um, the topic of this panel is about. Um, uh, cost and also economies of scale uh, about um, ship management. Um, but I think um, uh, for cost, actually, when, whenever I talk with uh, ship managers, actually, uh, very often what they uh, mention about the first is that um, how narrow their margin is and how much they, were, uh, they are being squeezed uh, by their customers. Um, yes, uh, you ship owners. Uh, now, um, so I would like to start with um, this question. Um, how um, is the um, uh, situation of the ship management uh, industry uh, is being affected by the uh, cost? We all know that there are different elements, uh, new elements coming in. Uh, earlier, it was talking about a lot of regulations, new regulations. Um, then actually, uh, they are f facing a situation where narrow margin, but actually rising cost. Uh, now, I'm from the government, so actually, um, we have this um, uh, test um, uh, uh, regime, which is under discussion um, to give to the uh, ship management companies. So I think um, that could be one element, but then I think um, this will be um, uh, all up to the panelists to voice their opinions, uh, because I'm sure every single one is a very successful uh, ship manager. Um, so uh, I would like to start with maybe Bjorn, uh, because um, you will be the incoming HKSOA uh, chairman, and of course you are the CEO of uh, Anglo Eastern, so I think you would have um, a lot to say about this. Well, thank you, Benjamin, and good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so ship management, uh, no surprise, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, right? I think, uh, I think when it comes to cost, I think you have, to, you have to look at it this way. Price is what you pay, while your value is what you get, right? So what's really important is to get a lot of value for the money you, you pay, right? Cost will always be important in any... Uh, in any business, you're going to run a tight ship, but the value that you get, um, and, and from ship management perspective, that value comes from, I think, from the scale, from the, from the focus, from the resources. It is a people business. We have 28,000 seafarers on our books, and the amount of investments we can make in training, in education, in making sure people are fit for purpose on the right ships at the right time, and in recent years, in technology, it's on parallel, right? So that's where scale ship management really provides value to our clients. 
Thank you. Uh, now, um, I would like to then move uh, on to uh, Angard. Uh, now, I think Angard is the only person you've never been on the ship. On this panel, <laughs> I've been on a I've been on a ship, haven't sailed on a ship. All right, okay. Now, uh, but then thanks, I think Benjamin. <laughs> you would have a very different perspective because uh, you've been on the investment banking as a management and all that. So uh, I, I believe you would have um, extra um, sharp perception on the cost, on the numbers. Look, I think what Bjorn said is is, is right. Is ultimately there's a balance between cost and value, and I think one of the value propositions that large ship management companies can provide is really the benefits of economies of scale across their entire fleet, especially when it comes to things like purchasing quality and high train crews. Um, and, and as Bjorn also said, I think the digital aspect of what we're seeing in the industry is incredibly important, and being able to leverage that across an entire fleet makes much more sense than you know one, two, three, four vessels. Um, I think the other thing that we're, we're seeing is with the increasing regulation in the industry, whether it's from you know the the sulfur caps, which I'm sure everyone's going to be talking about, um, other regulations around Marlboro compliance, so on and so forth, that the cost of the industry is going up, and being able to manage that cost across a larger fleet makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where we're also seeing a shift with people who previously were not demanding uh, third-party ship management services now they are as a result of their inability to perhaps compete on a cost-effective level as, as the rest of the industry. Um, but it really comes down to, to cost and value, and I think a lot of people are seeing the value that third-party ship management brings to the preservation of their asset quality over a sustained period of time, and then justifying that with the additional cost savings is, uh, I think, a positive trend that all of us on this panel uh, are definitely facing, or benefiting from, rather. All right, thank you. Now, you mentioned about um, uh, economies of scales. Now, um, uh, Rajesh, um, you are the founder of Synergy. So actually, when you were starting it, then of course, um, at that point of time, you, don't, you, you, didn't, you didn't have the economies of scales. Then how would you do it, and how are you doing it now? Maybe um, I have a different perspective. Uh, as an industry, I think over the years, uh, we have done some amazing work. Um, but is doing the same thing similarly going to sustain? I don't think so. I think uh, we need a fresh perspective uh, to start with from a leadership angle itself. Uh, because we have to move away from that conversation of how, how much money you make off the coffee to can you be my thought partner? Um, can, you, can we together create value? So I think whether it's small or big, uh, of course, there is definitely benefits of you know, having some scale. But I think the fundamental question is, can we create value for the ship owner? And the second thing on technology is, I think, I feel people using technology is a great tool to transform a caterpillar into a butterfly. But what we don't want to end up doing is to creating a faster caterpillar. So I think we should move away from ideas at 50,000 feet to going down to details and seeing how we can create value together. So in a nutshell, my, my thought process on your question is that if we constantly find ways of creating value for asset owners, there will be always someone interested in that value proposition. Uh, and of course, if you have scale, then it offers you some flexibility uh, in your service offerings. 
But fundamentally, we have to redesign on our service, service offering model as a ship manager. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, Captain Zhao, um, I learned some from um, discussion with um, Wa Kuang that um, you have something Wa Kuang lights. Uh, then, um, how are you um, combining this together with uh, what I mentioned, the control of cost and how the industry is helping uh, in terms of this? Uh, thank you, Ben. Yes, uh, uh, basically, Wagwan, maybe uh, uh, many people know, is a, a traditional uh, family company. And uh, now, just in the recent years, we also started doing uh, some third-party uh, management service. Uh, but uh, many of our customers are uh, strategic partners. We do the quite integrated service just uh, uh, to, to provide the integrated service to our strategic partners. In terms of the cost, uh, at the, the traditional ship owner. We actually very much in line with that, what the Beyond and Anga said. Actually, we value this uh, uh, the daily OPEX. We can see that actually it is an investment. We, what money we spend on the ship, eventually we can get back. Basically, we need to invest on more people. We need to invest on the maintenance, supply the uh, staffs for the maintenance. Uh, from Wagwan point, what we are doing, uh, we feel the quite successful in the last uh, several years. We invest a lot in the people training, and uh, we very much believe uh, better trained people have the better skills, a particular better sense of belonging to the company. They can deliver a better ship service, and the ship will have a, a much better reliable uh, performance. So this, uh, we really value to our end user. Basically, we consider our end user our charters. So actually, we, as the traditional owners, we found uh, our charters sometimes value uh, our like in-house management is very much. They can see the very close the coordinations and uh, a very reliable service. So, of course, we also very cautious on the uh, on the the, the 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 cost daily cost controls. We are also doing a, a lot of uh, uh, group purchasing, and we are also doing the partnership uh, with uh, our uh, partners uh, in the, the ship training side. Try to bring down the cost. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, now, Frank. Mm -hmm. um, you come in, take um, over the um, ram, um, the ram, the control, the leadership of um, uh, Wanom uh, last year, and I think a lot of um, CEO, whenever they take over a new um, uh, leadership role, uh, would look at um, uh, cost cutting. Now, um, for you, you are also um, looking at renewing the brand of Wanom. Um, so, uh, on this, um, what do you have to say about uh, in terms of the cost and the um, uh, how would you manage? Um, Wallum uh, for the future. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about Wallum, um, but I am going to talk about what w this this whole change management aspect and and what you're talking about. One thing, listening to the other panelists, I economies of scale equals commoditization, and and the truth is that we're all doing largely the same things at the moment. The, the question is, can we move from this place where we have to rely on economies of scale to a place where ship owners actually believe in the value that's being delivered? 
because it, in, in the most dramatic sense, we're all lying in the gutter and scrambling for the, uh, you know, scrambling for the scraps. Or are we taking a stand on quality? And and I can see Peter, who I've known for a long, long time, who's taken many stands on quality. Um, as for the third-party manager versus the internal manager, um, a, a owner that we've we've had for some time recently got bought by another owner, and he came and knocked on the door and he said. I've been told that unless you can cut your costs by 10%, we have to bring the ships in-house. That to me is not a discussion about value. That's a discussion about make it as cheap as you can, commoditize it, and we, as, as Rajesh said, we have to change the model because if we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, particularly with the impact of technology, uh, ship management as we know it today will, uh, I believe, cease to exist. Thank you. Commoditizing the um, surface actually is, um, is something which leads to our um, to my next question because uh, commoditizing it of course it means um, there will be a very high level of uh, standardizing uh, the service the product uh, but of course to choose among different ship, uh, managers um, there have to be a differentiation uh, and nowadays actually we talk about the technology a lot um, and I think for the past years I've been googling so many uh, new technology terms and try to understand what's uh, behind it for example blockchain and all, all about that um, and uh, I think um, this is something that I think um, uh, different um, managers over here, uh, you could be the adopter of it, you could be the user of it, or you could even be uh, investors in it. Now, um, I know Engard actually is very keen and in investing on the technology, and also Bjorn actually um, is also very keen on that, and actually all you ship managers. Uh, and of course, uh, Frank, um, you've been with um, two technology companies, and Rajesh, uh, you also found the um, Alpha Ori, which is uh, selling uh, smart ships uh, with Big Plans 2. Um, so now, I, I would like to start with um, uh, maybe uh, you, and actually I would like all of you to bounce off this topic, because uh, obviously this is a very uh, a topic which I think a lot of you are very passionate about, and you take different roles and uh, different um, uh, uh, position of it. So um, maybe I'll start with uh, Engard, and then I hope really that you could uh, bounce off each other on this. Sure, thanks, Benjamin. And I guess everyone in the first question alluded to technology a little bit. Um, so maybe if I'll start with the 50,000 feet and start coming down so the other panelists can then really talk, as uh, I think uh, Rajesh had said, on some of the more practical solutions that, uh, um, that we're seeing and trying to implement today. But generally speaking, I think this is an incredibly broad discussion. Um, and I think the broader maritime ecosystem is definitely going to be disrupted, but also enhanced with uh, the use of existing, but also emerging technologies in perhaps a manner that we've not seen uh, since we moved away from, from sailing vessels. And I think if I was perhaps to categorize these um, in a few different areas, I'd say firstly, and perhaps the closest to implementation is really technology and the changes to traditional workflow and processes to create reliability, sustainability, and perhaps efficiencies in the system. You know, we can think about um, really digitization of existing operations, 
then enhancing them. Simple things like the use of augmented reality or virtual reality for the training of seafarers. Um, I'd say the second one, and a much broader topic as well, is really around technology and the vessel itself. We can debate till the cows come home on, on autonomous vessels, and, and that's obviously you know the end goal if you're reading a lot of the research. Um, but then there's also propulsion systems and what's going to happen there with the changes in, in fuel supply. And I think that's, call it, another category where uh, the industry will be uh, susceptible to change. Um, thirdly, I think perhaps again more macro, it's really around global trade and supply chain logistics. Um, we've already seen the changes in some of this as a result of e-commerce, 3D printing, and the changes in trading patterns that then result and all, therefore the trading patterns um, of vessels. Taking that a bit further, we're going to see blockchain emerge and how that will impact the broader facilitation of trade finance and trade, electronic bills of lading, documents, the exchange of all of that. But there needs to be a governing system around data exchange, data capture, um, and data security. And that's really what needs to follow first, the standardization before some of this could take place. Um, and then perhaps the last kind of area I'd say is really around um, data-driven changes to the demand and supply of, of cargo and ships. Um, I think you know for the longest period of time, um, whether it's on the commodity side or the shipping side, we've operated in a system where information arbitrage has existed, but now with satellites, drones, predicting where vessels are, the cargo movements, I think it's become almost a holy grail for mining companies, oil companies, commodity traders, and shipping companies to get an edge over their um, uh, competitors by having access to this data and then deploying you know, machine learning algorithms across it. So I'd say those are probably the four areas from a top-down perspective um, that I think we're seeing, and I'll perhaps pause there and, and let the other panelists uh, jump into other parts. Right, thank you. Um, then maybe we, I move on to uh, Rajash. Um, you've got your smart ships uh, sailing. Um, you've got some 37 now, and is planning to have it um, expanded to 100. Um, so um, could you um, share with us uh, how's your experience on that and expanding that to 100? Uh, what kind of uh, difficulties that you are facing and uh, how could, um, for example, different industries or as managers uh, be a part of it? Uh, fundamentally, I think if you look at Netflix or any other organization, I think timing is important. So I think in terms of timing in shipping, I think we are there. One, because if you look at the bandwidth that's, that's available and the bandwidth that's coming online is significant. Second, if you see is there maturing technologies, whether it's IoT, big data, blockchain, I think that's also matured significantly. So in terms of timing, I think we are there. And in terms of smart ships, what we have done is, I'll give you a couple of examples. One, we are working with Musk uh, on ships to see how can we get into fuel optimization. As we all know, Musk has themselves a very large program on fuel optimization. So how can we connect systems on board and then try to look at ship as a whole and overlay that with multiple data sets, whether it's from weather, whether it's from design, whether it's from commercial requirements, and then see how can you optimize the fuel consumption. Uh, the other area where we have worked is auto cargo allocation on chemical tankers. You, you just tend, generally tend to get 300, 400 parcels of chemicals. How do you know how to optimize that ship and say which, which chemical should go to which tank, for example? So how do you optimize the ship in itself? So what we have so far done is to be able to connect different systems and then be able to draw insights and then share the insights to people on board 
and people are sure simultaneously so that they are able to make better decisions because of the fragmented data sets that we have. But the bigger challenge in this whole thing is people and process. So I think that's where we need uh, to what, you know, we were talking just now, what Frank's saying. We need a change in the mindset in, in, in people and process. It's a hard, hard work down the road, but I think it's definitely needed for us to make this technology effective. That's where we see the biggest challenges. It's not about getting from 37 to 100, which was not very difficult, but how do you make sure that this 100 are executed so well uh, that people see value today in adopting smart chips? Right, thank you. Uh, Frank, um, you've been with Imaset, and obviously um, te uh, technology on communication is very important. Now, uh, would you, do you have anything to share on this perspective or in general um, in terms of uh, ship managers? Yeah, I, as far as Transess or, or Imosat or, or any of these companies, um, I would say they are a long way from providing the complete solution. Um, when I listen to Rajesh talk about fuel optimization, I'm sure if you go down the, the group, everyone's doing something about fuel optimization. Everybody's doing something about electronic charts or this or that. But that is a fragmented approach, and by no means is that the true meaning of digitalization. Digital, digitalization, in its purest sense, is a complete revamp of the business model, and a complete revamp on, uh, in the way that we, we go about doing this. And when you've got 37 suppliers of Ectuses and 70 suppliers of VSAT, and when you've got 50 suppliers of weather and, and 25 different fuel optimization tools and nothing talks to anything else, you are a long, long way from digitalizing an industry, particularly when you've got a customer who doesn't want to buy it, can't see the value, and doesn't want to share his data. So we are in the process of slowly modernizing. We are not in the process of digitalizing. And when you listen to Martin Stopford to talk earlier, we're building ships with diesel engines that are clunking around while we're doing massive data uh, calculations on logistics, ships that will be around for 15 to 20 years. So the, the resistance from the top down in, for the industry to digitalize is massive. And as much as we want to put the technology on board, and as much as we want to digitalize, there is a huge remaining resistance to do anything other than be that caterpillar that is modernizing slowly. Um, I just say that uh, the biggest threat, in my opinion, the biggest threat to, to ship managers is companies like Vortzilla, ABB, and companies that will control the data and control the machinery. Because the future is about that information and the ability to efficiently run that, that vessel from A to B. Thank you. Now, uh, maybe then uh, also um, Bjorn and Kevin Joe, um, do you have any? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to echo what some of my colleagues here are saying, <clears throat> 
there is a, uh, a transformation happening in our industry. I, I think it's, uh, it's really going to open up a lot of opportunities. I think one of the key things that's changing these years is that ships go from being offline units to being online units, right? So that's got a couple of implications. Firstly, we can manage ships the way we manage any other office. You can, you know, they will be, they will have cloud-based application, cloud control application. You can do your endpoint protection, your endpoint monitoring, your patching over the air, and, and consider every ship as an online unit. It, uh, it also has implications for transparency and for standards. Right? So on transparency, it means that there will be a, a single instance of the truth on board the ship with the ship manager and with the owner on the charter, right? So that's going to be a, a game changer that no one in that sort of chain of, uh, of, uh, of value and information can hold back on that information because we will all have the same information at the same time. Uh, it's going to enable us to deal with cybersecurity and GDPR and other privacy concerns in a much more effective way than we do today. And once this sort of platform, which will have two elements, that will be the information technology, which are the process management, the, 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 um, the workflow management part of how we manage the ships and the duties on board, and then it will be the operational technology, which is all about sensors, ECDIS, data, radar, AIS, weather, etc. All of that is going to uh, convert and enable artificial intelligence, machine learning, etc., to really derive value for the end users and for the for the owners in this process. Thank you, Karen Chow. Uh, thank you. I just uh, add one uh, uh, comment. Uh, in terms of technology, as a, a traditional family uh, uh, company, definitely we are not a market leader. But uh, we are also following very closely. As uh, Frank said, I think, uh, uh, many companies are doing uh, uh, the few optimization uh, uh, softwares. Actually, we are also doing that. We are in the process for testing uh, some softwares. But my comments is that uh, so many technologies but we are lack of the integration from the one software to another software, from one party to another party. Just take the, the few of optimization uh, as an example. We are the technology provider. Uh, we install this type of software, install sensor, uh, shelf power, power meters to try to optimize. Also, uh, that the voyage, I try to uh, uh, adjust the speed, uh, select the, the best route. But the, this thing is, uh, do not have any connection integrate with the charters. We don't know. Actually, it's a question. If this is the selected route, selected ETA, select speed, is meet charters cargo requirement, ETA requirement, all these things, this part is lagging. Basically, this system is still, I would say, if we lack of this type of integrations, the value itself will be much reduced. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, Frank, uh, earlier you mentioned about data. And uh, in this um, uh, period where technology is very important, often uh, people will say uh, data actually is power. Uh, now, um, would you rather to be investing in, in a technology so that you could be controlling or um, uh, uh, being, <coughs> having access to this data? Or would you rather to, um, to outsource it to a third party and then they will be having all those data on hand and then actually they will be uh, more or less be able to reuse this data. Actually, sometimes they can even sell the data um, or even anger because you invest in it. So uh, now, how would you see this um, development? Would you see, for example, ship managers um, becoming 
only more data, uh, or actually it's more like an industry trend to actually outsource it. Uh, first of all, I, I think in terms of the software and the, and, the, and the development of the technology, you would always outsource it. I'm not a big fan of, um, through, through many years of, of pain, I am certainly not a, a big fan of in-house development. Uh, the more you spend, the more problems you get. Uh, so I think using outsourced tools, for instance, uh, simple tools even like Tableau, but even more sophisticated machine learning and, and AI tools. Uh, so you would definitely outsource it. Um, I think the use of, just because you've outsourced the tools doesn't mean you're outsourcing uh, the manipulation of the data. You can still bring in people that can uh, run the required processes to analyze and, and, and utilize the data. And I, and I think that's one area where we need to be looking uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, bringing in data scientists and, and starting to use that data. Of course, there's, then there becomes a discussion about who owns the data. Yeah, I tend to agree with, with, with what Frank said, but with perhaps um, a, bit, a bit of a twist on it. I think right now the question on who owns the data is, is, is very important because obviously the third-party ship managers are managing an asset on behalf of an owner. It's their ship, it's their information, and we're utilizing that data to enhance the value of a service that we provide them. But you know, a comment that, that Frank had made earlier around guys like Wartzilla and some of the other manufacturers, and when new equipment starts coming on, there will be this debate on who owns that data, where is it accessed, and who has access to it. Um, so I think a lot of thought is needed around the policies and regulations in which data will be shared and exchanged and who can utilize that data. I think each individual company or subsector of the industry working in silos um, can't work and I think the ecosystem is much larger so we need to build a framework that will work for all participants in the industry. And then specific to I think how you know ship management companies will work, I do agree that we need to bring in, you know, perhaps a different skill set of talent that we've not thought about before. Data scientists, you know, um, forecasters, other people from perhaps computer science backgrounds to be able to utilize the data that we have access to today, extracting that data, some of it's structured, some of it's non-structured, and being able to put it in a place where then ultimately we can work with third-party providers to manipulate and visualize that data, you know, the tableaus, as, as, as Frank mentioned, et cetera. We don't need to recreate some of that, but we're the ones who need to be able to extract our data and we understand what we're looking for, and those are the questions that we'll need to ask and have people work with us to get answers to that information. Thank you. Um, I would like to move on to people now. Uh, ship management as an industry, actually, I, th I think um, it has a big portion of work actually is more with uh, people management. Now, uh, with technology, then, of course, uh, the sort of people would be very different. I'm sure that the people that you're hiring now uh, is very different from the people that you hired 20 years ago um, and the technical know-how and all that. Uh, now, um, I would like to ask, uh, how do you see the supply of crew these days? Uh, are they uh, up for the challenge of these, uh, all these new technologies? And also, um, Frank also mentioned about the resistance uh, within the organization. 
um, then I think uh, if people they are not equipped to deal with this kind of technology, there would be stronger resistance. Uh, and then, um, of course, uh, the government uh, asked that uh, we have this uh, maritime and uh, aviation training fund, and we believe um, that could be part of the uh, relief in terms of uh, training and upbringing of um, the uh, the crew on the different. Uh, Aspects. Um, so uh, now I, I maybe I'll start with uh, Kevin Joe and then um, uh, uh, maybe also uh, Rajesh and other people, uh, other panelists on the, this topic. Uh, thank you, Ben. Yes, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, technology, because so many new technologies now is applying to the ships, uh, particularly in the future, uh, people, so many people, a very hot topic is uh, autonomous ships, and it's, uh, it's very hot. But and because this is the, will change a lot on the working style on, on board, uh, hence, uh, the the required skills of the crew will be definitely will be uh, different. And uh, from my personal point of view, and uh, in the future, as uh, uh, more and more automations uh, will be used uh, on board, I think uh, the uh, the crew's traditional skill, uh, maybe uh, operation of the ship will be become easier than before, and uh, so. The, my personal view that the trend is that that, that uh, the uh, skill on uh, for the traditional seaman skill for the crew will be uh, uh, less, and a uh, lot of uh, jobs will be shifted to the sh uh, shore side. So this uh, requires uh, uh, our future crew needed to be equipped with the uh, different uh, skills and the uh, different uh, mindset as well. Definitely in today's market, and uh, we have not seen this uh, much change yet. And our current training uh, uh, systems, uh, public training systems, still very much uh, following the, the, the traditional uh, training way to, to train overseas staffs. And uh, I think uh, that our shipping community need uh, take early action to invest more on the training side. Uh, to change what is much needed at the future uh, crews, including uh, shore-based crews, shore-based navigators. Thank you. Rajesh? I, I strongly feel that this is people's business, uh, and they are our first and final line of defense. But if you look at how much have we invested in people in equipping them with the right skill set to be able to manage uh, systems on board better, we've really not gone that way. Uh, if you look at curriculum, whether it's ashore, whether it's in India, UK, or anywhere else, they have not adapted to the changes that's happening on board. So I think, uh, for example, I'm working with the Singapore government to see how we can redesign the framework of certification for officers at various levels, engineers at various levels. So I think as an industry, we definitely need to invest in our people to make them better prepared for the changes that's happening on the ships. Uh, and are we there? We are far from there, is what I feel. Uh, so we need to make that investment uh, really soon. And data on the other topic, I think we should first look at what's the motivation for people to share data. 
unless you are able to give them value out of the data that they share there is no real reason why people should share their data with you so the question of we see that because of the smart chips we see okay the ship owners own the data fine but they are willing to share even the pni clubs provided you are able to give them back something that's of use for them today and um, on systems we've also seen how we, every system has different data protocols uh, different ways of parsing data but we've managed reasonably on being able to get different systems to talk to each other so i think there is a way but i think uh, everything revolves around what is the benefit of this common pooling and similarly if you want people on board to perform in a manner that is expected then what is it that you are adding value into their lives how are you empowering them how are you skilling them so that they have the right tools to be able to make better decisions while on board so i think that's where as an industry we need to go in terms of investing in people thank you rajesh um other panelists if i can just say if the question is can we find people that are capable of uh, managing our ships, running our ships in the future, then I'm a very firm optimist. Um, I think that, that the people we do attract to this industry are very capable young people, and they, they come from that age and that time where they, they, they take on technology very easily. I've just come back from 10 year anniversary uh, of our Maritime Academy in India. We have 500 um, cadets through this academy every year. We recruit from a pool of more than 20,000 applicants. So there are plenty of people who want to join this, this career. And when I then see them in the academy and see their, the way they work with technology, I mean, we, have, we use um, virtual reality um, to show them around the ship, to, to teach them uh, uh, how a cargo tank looks, how to set a, a, a lifeboat, etc. before they're even on a ship. These youngsters are far better prepared to go to sea than I ever was when I was at their age. Um, they are really, really bright, and they have uh, so much knowledge. We even have an innovation incubator in that academy. And this year, they, you know, one of the cadets showed me he'd invented a fall uh, measurement device. So basically, a little thing he put in his boiler suit, and if it falls, it's basically an accelerometer. If it falls, there will be an alarm on the bridge showing the location of where he is. We also have a cadet who had invented a couple of cameras to put on the bridge, basically measuring the eye movements of the uh, officer of the watch, and through that, detecting fatigue before it becomes a, a problem. Right. So these kind of innovations give me great hope for 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 the people who are going to run the ships in the future. They are really smart. Thank you. Um, maybe Engard. Sure, and I think um, perhaps I'll take a little bit of a different um, route to this. As, as you mentioned, Benjamin, on the um, Maritime and Aviation Training Fund, and I think you know, kudos must be given to the uh, Hong Kong government for what they've done in trying to promote um, talent in Hong Kong for the maritime industry. And I think if I just look at, given it's connected, um, the other panelists talked about the ships, and you know, if I just talk about shorebase for, for a second, you know, I think Hong Kong does have a very strong labor supply of maritime professionals, um, finance, insurance, uh, legal, and I think that talent pool is extremely important for the for the ecosystem. Um, we also have a lot of ship owners, ship operators, port operations, and again, very strong talent pool. Um, the ship management cluster, again, extremely strong here and very strong talent pool. So I think what, what really we as an industry also need to do to 
retain, hire, and find the best talent is, as perhaps Bjorn said, is, is really get to get to kids at a very early level. Um, I think you know, the focus should probably be on school level children because I think that's the future. Um, they're better equipped with the skills necessary to be successful in uh, a rapidly changing technological environment, whether again at on the sea or at shore. And I think as an industry, the onus is on us to really be out there promoting our industry, not just showing trials and tribulations of what happens on a ship, but also show that you know, computer scientists, data scientists, mathematicians, economists, all have careers in, in the maritime industry. And that, I think, will allow us to kind of upgrade the entire pool that we have um, working in our offices. Thank you. And um, Frank? Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with them. I, I mean, maritime at the end of the day is a very romantic place, but it's not very sexy. And um, we don't make it sexy enough. Uh, I'm not at all worried about the capabilities of the, of the young people. Um, I was also in India recently, but at a fleet officers meeting where the second officer, a young lady, was complaining the captain didn't know how to use half the technology and she was teaching him how to use it. So I don't think there's a problem in terms of the, the people going to sea. I think there's a problem in attracting them in a way that they can see that they're valued and that they have a, a, a good career. And I know Bjorn says there's a big pool out there, etc., but we could do a lot better in terms of uh, how we approach the 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 the, the thing of crewing uh, on a on a global scale because I, at the end of the day training is is a little bit of a swear word when you come down to budgets with some of our owners. Thank you. Uh, now um, our time actually is up, and uh, usually I always say it's important to end the panel with a positive note. <coughs> and actually Frank has uh, helped me to end it with a romantic note, so which is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> now um, may I ask you to give um, the the excellent um, panelists another round of applause. Thank you.